What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. As you know, many people who were involved in cults like the IFB or in the troubled teen industry have missed out on some truly memorable moments, things like prom and graduation ceremonies, and it's heartbreaking to hear that they have missed out on things that so many have taken for granted. Today's guest is working on something truly amazing called Survivor Prom. This event is for survivors of the troubled teen industry, cults, and other congregate care settings. It's a chance for adults who've missed out on prom and other milestones to come together and celebrate each other. But it's about so much more than just prom. It's a symbol of taking back the years of their lives that they lost while in these programs. And it's not just about the big moments like prom or graduation ceremonies. Survivors have missed out on forming friendships, learning how to be part of a team, and even just figuring out who they really are. It's no secret these programs can have a devastating effect on social skills, and some people have even gone through extreme things like conversion therapy that have made adjusting to everyday life really difficult. So for many survivors, prom is about taking back the time that was stolen from them. It's a chance to celebrate each other and rebuild after some truly challenging times. Now, some might say that having an event like prom is a little bit petty, but for survivors of the troubled teen industry, it is so much more than that. It is a symbol of coming together and celebrating resilience and strength, and I cannot wait to see how this event turns out. Please listen to this entire episode. We're going to hear all about this incredible event, and if you want to support the event financially, head to the link in the show notes and find out how you can do just that. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's show. Remember high school? You had your group of friends, maybe even your high school sweetheart. You made the team. You picked a random elective. And you found yourself a lifelong passion. You learned so much more than just algebra. There's a reason they call these the most formative years of our lives. Now, imagine who you'd be if none of that ever happened. What if you didn't have a single friend to lean on during those years? What if you never experienced the camaraderie or value of teamwork? Or saw the impact you had when you cheered for others? 
What if no teacher ever encouraged you to pursue your passions and your education was unaccredited, lacking, or non-existent? This was the reality for survivors of the troubled teen industry, and we are taking our teenage dreams back with Survivor Prom. It's not your average prom. Survivor Prom is meant for adults who endured so much that they may have the chance to reclaim just one small piece of the high school experience they never had. Support the Survivor community today by clicking the link below and donating. Follow and share our journey at Survivor Prom. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Welcome back, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm starting to sound repetitive, but like every episode where I have someone on again, I'm like, oh, I thought you were on like a year ago. And then it's like, oh, it was three years ago. <laughs> so um, yeah, we we talked in 2020 and you shared your story. And if anybody hasn't heard your full story, they should go back and listen to that episode for sure. Um, but for those that are not going to do that because they're stubborn, like me when I listen to podcasts, um, give us just a little bit of a recap of your story. Um, you obviously were heavily involved in the troubled teen industry. You spent 13 to 18 uh, within one of these homes. Um, just give us a little bit of background as to how you ended up involved in the troubled teen industry. So as you mentioned, I, I kind of entered the program that I attended, which was called Lighthouse Christian Academy. Um, I entered there when I was about a week before my 13th birthday. And the reason that my parents chose to have me taken to this place um, was because, you know, I was I was what they call a troubled teen or an out of control teen. And I think it's so important to always highlight when I say this, that many, many people who end up in the troubled teen industry are not troubled teens. They are normal teenagers who like had a bad grade, spilt the milk at the dinner table. Parents were sick of dealing with them and, and kind of pawn them off. Like there are bad parents who just drop their kids off. There are foster care kids who get strapped into these situations and just left there until they age out. So I always like to hang a bell on that. But for me, um, I was I was getting into trouble. I was skipping school, running away, that sort of thing. Um, and my parents did not have the resources or the information or the education to find an appropriate treatment for me. Um, so they were looking for options and they came across this facility. Um, and this facility you know, the entire experience began by me actually being what we call legally kidnapped, which means that um, some strangers came into my bedroom in the middle of the night um, when I was 13 years old and dragged me out of my bed. And, you know, they we always say they they give you the easy way or the hard way. It's quite literally what they say to us as children. Um, and what that implies is that if you do not go willingly with them, they are going to physically you know, remove you from the home. They'll restrain you with handcuffs. I've seen boots put on children um, as a means to keep them from running away, et cetera. Um, but I was about 80 pounds soaking wet at the time. Uh, so I complied immediately and, uh, and they took me out, put me in a car that looked like a police car on the inside, but a red Camaro on the out. And they, they took me to J Florida, put me on a couple planes and took me to J Florida where this program was. Um, this program was a religious program. There's lots of different types of programs within the TTI or the troubled teen industry umbrella. Um, things like rehabs, boot camps, wilderness camps, um, behavior modification centers, um, all kinds of programs, but religious programs are one small part of that. And this was an uh, independent fundamental Baptist program. Uh, that was inspired by uh, the Lester Roloff schools, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, in fact, the man who actually owned this program to begin with, his name was Michael Palmer, was was close with him. Um, and so it, it was a very easy jump. And if you if you talk to really any of the Baptist program survivors, we pretty much all have the same story. The programs right. are run very, very similarly, even the attire, you know, the school, the ACE curriculum, that whole bit. Um, is pretty similar. But the experience within the program itself is like death by a thousand cuts. You take places like Hiles Anderson, which I also attended, uh, and you think those rules are crazy and strict and weird. Um, multiply that by 1000, and then you might be close to my program. I mean, this was a place where you were not allowed to so much as crack your own knuckles or pick your fingernails without getting sent to an isolation box and being put in like isolation from your peers uh, for three days. Like that actually happened. Um, so uh, this place was incredibly abusive physically, 
um, in that they would have us restrain each other. Like I would be forced to tackle my peers, hold them to their beds limb by limb. Um, I also had that done to me. I've, I've also seen children dragged across the field because they were not running enough. You know, I've seen children scolded and and really pushed into this narrative because it was a, a girls program that women are, you know, to be good wives. They actually, you know, did the whole putting us through wife classes and teaching us how to be, you know, nice, submissive uh, baby makers, you know, and um, so it was incredibly spiritually abusive as well. And I always like to hang a bell on that because that's specific to religious programs. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, we went to church 22 times, 21 times a week. um, And this, this was not the once a day chapel before school started like this. This was indoctrination and forced participation in religion that many children came in and were not subscribed to. Many of them came from Catholic households. Many of them came from um, different um, denominations of Christianity that that were not this extreme. Um, And they were forced to participate in uh, these activities. I mean, forcing a child to pray, like how how is that in line at all with, with any version of Christianity forcing religion onto a child, forcing them to participate, not just close your eyes when I'm praying, like we do to children sometimes, like this is forcing them to out loud pray to a God that they don't subscribe to. Um, and so that's why this is a religious program. I also consider it a cult because I, I don't know any other, even sect of, um, you know, the IFB. I, I couldn't name an IFB church that that is this bad, that is this yeah. extreme in forcing their beliefs on others. Now, I know them to be that crazy, but I don't know them to be that extremist in terms of the indoctrination and forced sure. participation. Yeah. Well, like you said, there's levels to it, right? So like, it's always interesting. And I think we all, you know, we've all experienced our own thing. So like, there's like these weird rankings of like, what's worse, quote unquote, you know, and, um, you know, and so someone coming from like, there to a Hiles Anderson might go, Hiles Anderson's a breath of fresh air, you know, or someone going from one church in this part of the country might go to a church in another part of the country and say, oh, this isn't, this isn't too bad. Um, You know, your experience, you know, and I, I was re-listening to our episode together and it was one of the episodes where I was like, oh, this is a really good episode. <laughs> um, but it was, it, it was great because you mentioned the easy way or the hard way. And it implies that there's this choice of like, there's this easy way. There's this way that you can do it where there's no resistance. It's going to be totally fine. And you said something kind of profound, which is there's no easy way to be kidnapped from your home in the middle of the night and taken to one of these facilities. Um, and I think you've done a really good job in, I mean, since before our episode, but in the time that's passed since, since people have last heard from you, you've done a really good job just raising that awareness about how bad this industry really is. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. I definitely want to get into Hiles Anderson, yeah. but I want to talk about just kind of the the advocacy side of this and what it's been like sharing your story openly. Do you have any regrets even starting opening that can of worms? Um, are you happy with progress that's been made? Cause there's been homes that have been shut down. Like where, what have you seen the last two years that makes you yeah. either optimistic yeah. or kind of pessimistic? Yeah. I love this. I love this kind of talk. So yeah. So I started my advocacy journey. Uh, I'm going to guess like three years ago now, don't quote me on it, but I, I started just a couple months before um, the documentary, This Is Paris, came out, where Paris Hilton came out and talked about her experience with the troubled teen industry. Um, and so I was just a little bit prior to that. So I really got in on like the golden age of troubled teen industry advocacy. Um, and it's been an incredible adventure and such a learning experience. Um, this community of survivors is incredibly unique. Like, love-hate relationship, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been it's been ups and it's been downs because this is a community that has been absolutely abused. Like mm-hmm. like you say, there are um there are people who go, oh, you know, this is worse, this is better. You know, even I sometimes find myself getting caught in this judgmental circle of like where I'm like, well, I was at my program for four years. I'm like, it wrecked my entire identity mm-hmm. and like my sense of self. And I didn't know who I was when I came out. So when people would tell me, oh, I went to my program for six months, I'm like, Okay, can't Easy. relate. You know, like yeah. I would try to be like, I get it, but at the end of the day, I had to learn that it it doesn't matter how long the abuse is, what occurred, like what level of serious, like did you get sexually assaulted? Did you, you know, all these things? It's it's the fact that people have their own limits 
uh, mm-hmm. to abuse and, and how that affects them. And so it doesn't matter what the timeline is, what type of program, if you're even in residential or you went to Hiles Anderson, you can suffer from the same consequences of these cults or these programs. And um, so anyway, but back to advocacy, the, the community has been so amazing in helping me learn about other types of programs for one. Um, wilderness camps was not something I was very familiar with, even though all these types of programs kind of have the same goal in that they want children to change their behavior. Um, their methods can differ greatly. Like at my program, I was not able to like have friends and I talked to other survivors and they're like, you weren't allowed to have friends. Like it, it, their programs are a little bit different, but at the same time, they didn't get like proper food. <laughs> you know, they didn't like, they, they were like cooking beans on like a fire outside or something if they were lucky and ate like stale rice or I don't know, but they, they had this terrible, but I had like, okay, well I had no friends. And so there's just all these incredibly abusive varying elements of these programs that I've learned about through like my advocacy journey. And I don't, I don't regret it. Not for one second. Um, I definitely have times where I feel re-traumatized by sharing my story all the time or really going in deep with people. Mm. Um, and, and in those moments I, I take breaks. I mean, I did TikTok. you know, I had that highway 89 survival TikTok where I had like 65,000 followers. And around that time I was like, I can't, sustain this you know on tiktok you gotta post all the time and it was just not something that like my heart and soul was allowing me to do on a regular basis and like be okay like it was it was super draining but now i'm i'm so thrilled because there's so many amazing tiktokers speaking about the tti um people from wilderness camps people from religious programs people from wasp programs um there's so many of them you know i don't feel any burden to be like oh i need to be out there telling people about this like right people are learning like people are knowing like if if it's not paris hilton's huge platform that's doing a lot for us um it's all these amazing survivors that are just getting out there and speaking their truth and i i don't feel like i need to be there it's it's happening you know it's not like the it's not as urgent i think as it is it once was for people to know about this Right. Yeah. And you can be selective with involvement too. Like that that's the thing you mentioned, like posting on TikTok every day. Like yeah. you're not just a piece of content, you know? So it's yeah. like, yeah. there's going to be days you don't want to talk about it. And that might be bad for the algorithm, but it's really good for you. And if you have to weigh those things out, probably should pick the one that's yeah. good for you. Yeah, um, you know, one of the, one of the things you mentioned Paris Hilton's documentary, which yeah. it, it was so weird because I had just started really even hearing about it. Um, so my my first time like where I heard that it was a problem <laughs> was, you know, the Dr. Phil episode, which that's a whole nother can of worms. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Phil's very involved with all that stuff. We don't have to go yeah. down that rabbit hole. But um when he talked about Hepsa Hepsa House, I was like, oh, I recognize Agape. I always thought that was a good place. It started unwinding kind of the fantasy version of all of this. Then I think we connected. Um, that's why I connected with so many different people in the advocacy space. And then it was like Paris Hilton drops this documentary and everyone's yeah. tagging me on it going, hey, this is about the stuff you've been talking about. You know? So it's like yeah. very weird how that happened. Yeah. Um, but Paris Hilton's like advocacy shown a huge light on this issue, but also upset a lot of people. And I've like tried to wrap my head around like why so many people are like upset about her <laughs> pushing for awareness about, you know, this, this industry, like, it seems like it's been a point of contention within survivor community from the outside looking in. Have you seen that as well? Or yeah, yeah, no, I've seen that. I've seen some of that. And frankly, you know, when, when, when Paris was first coming on the scene, I mean, even when we met, when we were at the Provo Canyon protest, yeah, I spoke to her and I spoke to her, um, her man there and I let them know, I'm like, listen, the community is really like unsure of you guys, honestly. Like I, I told, I literally told her husband this. I said, she, you know, she's, she's kind of shown up like in a whirlwind here and and people are thinking, is this a PR stunt? Like, are yeah. you just using this to change, to work on changing your image? And, um, and are you going to use this community? Are you going to like suck it dry of everybody's stories? People were feeling like, you know, is my story now owned by Paris Hilton? If I share it with mm. the platform. And like, you know, people were just uneasy, you know, and, and it makes sense. We're a community that's incredibly traumatized. We have trust issues. We've and I've been taken been advantage of. Yeah. We've been taken advantage of. So it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to have these concerns at all. Um, I think Paris over the last couple of years, though, because that was back in 2020, 
Um, I think that she has really proven herself in terms of like her commitment to the cause. I mean, she has been working on legislation. Um, and I think there are questions within the survivor community about the adequacy of the legislation that she has been promoting. There's like a big argument um, on whether or not, you know, passing laws that kind of create loopholes or, or mm-hmm. essentially essentially say your program can operate if it does X, Y, Z is legitimizing legitimizing the inner uh the industry um so that's one of the things that people kind of get hung up on um you know if you kind of think is it creating loopholes for programs to operate or is it is it abolishing the industry and a lot of the legislation that she i think is working on is is creating standards but you also have to ask yourself is that just the beginning stages you know it's an incremental approach yeah, yeah i think the goal is to find something that's suitable for both sides of the aisle and kind of build from there. That's what I think their approach is. I don't know for sure. I'm personally kind of just sitting back and seeing what happens because uh, for me, you know, I'm never going to stop fighting for awareness and and obviously legislation as well. Um, But one of the things that I really truly think is effective is people sharing their stories about these programs. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that my program shut down as a result of uh, a journalist who came in and shed a huge light on, on my program and what was happening there. And she dug into the archives and she pulled out the abuse stories. She pulled out the uh, communications and the lawsuits and, and she she put it up there. She made it relevant again. And her name was Alexander Zayas. She did a piece on, on Lighthouse. Um, uh, I think in 2013. And and truly, I believe being able to search a program and find those stories, find that information immediately, like chop Google result mm-hmm. is what makes their attendance go down and what's make what ultimately will shut them down. Like if legislation's not going to do it, telling your truth will. And that's why I think the awareness aspect of advocacy is so, so important. Love that. Yeah, there's, there's so much of this where it's like a lot of these organizations aren't bothered by legislation anyway. Um, you know, yeah. it it can do obviously big things like schools can be shut down or dispersed. It can be a lot harder for them to operate. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's going to be parents who are looking up these programs, listening to stories. It's going to be family friends that are listening that are going, oh, you're sending them there. Have you seen this? Like, that's such a huge, a huge piece of it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to sometimes convince parents who have troubled teens that um that all residential treatment is bad because for them that's the end all be all i've tried all the other options i have nothing else to do and you know i could go on night and day about my view on residential treatment and how i don't believe any forced residential long-term treatment is uh, appropriate i think they're all abusive but for parents who are desperate and that's why they're so easy to to prey upon by these programs you know they it's really hard to convince them that all the programs are bad um, so, so just having your story, having your truth out there is what will make the difference. I think that most parents are not, most parents who send their kids to these programs are not just monsters of parents. They are looking for a solution. They are trying to help and protect their child. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just preyed upon, taken advantage of and misinformed. Yeah. Um, so by informing them of these programs, putting our stories out there and making sure they're, you know, high on the results thing, parents find them and they'll say, okay, I won't, I won't send my kid there. And and at least if if even if they do go oh I'm gonna send my kid to a different program this one this one is the bad one, um, then at least they kind of see some signs of what to look out for you know yeah. when they read these articles when they when they're looking through programs and they're seeing story after story of oh this happened you know that then they start to to know what to look out for and we've talked about I don't know if you and I talked about but but I've talked about red flags before and and making parents aware of red flags, um, <laughs> which so often are at every single residential, like yeah. you've probably never talked to a survivor of a TTI program that hasn't had their letters read, sharpied out or made to rewrite them. Like that's, that's a red flag that you will find at almost every single troubled teen program out there um, that they go through your mail and they monitor your communications. So that in itself, I don't understand why any parent would ever, would ever be so dumb to send their child, but we can do a lot by just making sure that um, the information is readily available when parents do try to do some research. Yeah. Right. Like you said, there's a lot of well-intentioned people that, you know, even, I mean, even the religious side that they're like, oh, they need, you know, 
they're convinced that like, oh, if they go to 20 services a, you know, a week, that's mm-hmm. going to have some impact. Or if they go here and get around these types of people, they'll, they'll be better. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and you hit that a lot in your first episode with me, like just saying, you don't really blame your parents. Like they were trying to put boundaries and yeah. protection for you and ended up kind of doing the opposite in a, in a lot of ways. Um, before we get into what you're working on lately, I do want to talk about your experience at Hiles Anderson because, um, you know, which probably will sound like a cakewalk compared to uh, <laughs> what we've talked no, about before, uh, but it is an important step for sure. And it's something we didn't talk about um, in our first conversation. So after leaving Lighthouse, how'd you end up at Hiles Anderson? Because your, your parents, for those that are listening, your parents were Berean, like they weren't IFB. Yeah. But yeah. it seems like you kind of got into the funnel of the IP yeah. world through Lighthouse. Totally. Yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So, um, so yeah, at Lighthouse, one of the senior pastors, I guess I'll call him, um, had gone to Hiles Anderson. He would promote Hiles Anderson all day long to us. Um, he was, he was older. He was probably like mid sixties, I'm guessing he was an older man, but, um, he was there for like the revivals and like, you know, all that crazy stuff. And he would just would talk about it nonstop to us. And because this program was so extremist, um, by the time I was getting ready to leave, I was convinced that the world, right, was going to kill me. Like, like legit thought that that I would go out in the world and my old friends would come find me and kill me. That's such an overdrive. Like, that's so beyond what reality was. But in my head, after being, you know, indoctrinated day in and day out for four years, I really believed that when I went outside of a very strict Christian environment, that I would do something to get killed. Um, and this, this affected me really deeply, even so much like I, you know, oftentimes you're not supposed to go to movie theaters, but when I went to my first movie theater about, uh, when I got out of that program, I was very like disturbed at the sight of like people dying. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going in the movies, they're dying and they're going to hell. And I was like, so just distraught about it, um, because I had just been so indoctrinated. But anyway, he had been a huge Hiles advocate. And he encouraged me to go to Hiles Anderson or to go to any Christian college, really. He's like, you got to get in a Christian college and you leave this place. If you don't, you know, bad things are going to happen. You're going to, your friends will find you. And like very, very verbatim, actually, that that conversation happened. Um, Even the pastor of the entire program for the last, like, I want to say six to nine months that I was there was doing private um, training with me. I don't remember what it was called, but it was some kind of Christian training for to prepare me to go back out in the world and go outside for like six months. I would just stay inside and he and I would do this study together that was supposed to help me when I got back out in the world. Um, and so they were very like, you need to go to a Christian college. And I was like, okay, well, there was another staff member at the program who had already resigned to going to Hiles Anderson. And I thought, well, maybe if I stay next to her, then I'll be safe and, you know, I'll be able to 
go back into the world and and remain a good Christian. You know, I think I want to be a missionary at the time. I wanted to be a missionary to Canada. Uh, I don't know why that was, it was crazy. Um, but I was like, I'll go back into the world. I'll see like where, who I am and I'll go alongside her and she'll keep me safe. Cause she'll be like the element of this place that I'm taking with me. And so her and I both signed up for Hiles Anderson. Uh, I was in like the Jericho program yeah, and, um, and we had asked to room together and I actually found out later that my program down in Florida called Hiles Anderson and told them to not allow her and I to room together because they thought that I would be a bad influence on her. Mm. We were like very friendly, this me and the staff member. Um, and also I found out she was gay. She had told me like the last week secretly that she was gay. So there very likely could have been an inappropriate element to that relationship that I just didn't recognize right. most of our time together. But I digress. Uh, so I went to House Anderson with her and um, it was a really jarring experience because, you know, Hiles Anderson in itself is is so incredibly strict, so incredibly sexist, so incredibly misogynistic. Um, really? And I think it's so, <laughs> I just hate it. And I just, I really do. I really hate it because I, I, I really looked at it through the lens of coming from my program or now I do at least. And I just think, you guys are like subjecting yourselves to this and you never had to. Yeah. Right. And, and that's like, that's and paying for part. it. Yeah. They're <laughs> You're paying personally for paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went to Hiles and, you know, I brought all my skirts with me and, and, um, and it was a, it was a wild, weird experience kind of progressing from my program to Hiles. Cause like you say, it did feel a lot looser. It felt a lot more relaxed to me than, yeah. than my program. Um, but at the same time, you know, as I was kind of exploring who I was outside of that program, I was finding things about myself that were still kicking against the rules of Hiles Anderson. I mean, mm. I would get in trouble for like having taking my one earring and putting it on a millimeter up my ear instead of the hole down here at the bottom. You know, I got in trouble for trying to move a desk once when I worked for the Dean of Women's Office. I literally got scolded and told to go find men to move this desk because women mm. shouldn't move desks. Um, and then this the, the school really seemed to target me, honestly. And I don't know if my program had communicated with them or something because I really wasn't breaking any rules. Um, I just didn't really want to be there. After like six months or so, I kind of the brainwashing was falling off of me. I was figuring out kind of who I was and what I was interested in and what I wanted my life to look like. And it wasn't these, you know, classes on 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 winning souls to the Lord. You know, it, it wasn't that. I just wasn't about it. Um, but I was also undergoing a lot of health problems at the time. A lot of like the trauma from my program was like coming out in in me as I was kind of just I don't know what the word is deprogramming. Um, like I had, I suddenly I suddenly started having massive anxiety and massive panic mm -hmm. attacks and. Um, it was, it was causing physical symptoms that ended up hospitalizing me like three yeah. times while I was there. And when I came back to the school from the hospital, the Dean of women who I can't remember her name at the moment, terrible woman. Um, she, she told me I was, I had just come back from the hospital. I was very sick in the hospital, had a spine tap, like really like a lot of stuff. And, um, she told me I was losing weight, which I wasn't. Um, but she said I was too thin. And that um, I must be anorexic or bulimic or something. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never been anorexic or bulimic in my life. I was very thin, but I always was very thin. Yeah. Um, and I had roommates at the time who, bless them, I, I genuinely love them to this day. I'm still friends with them on Facebook. Um, they're very much Baptist Christians, and I, I still love and support them. Um, but they supported me and they were like, no, like she eats pizza every single day from the cafe. They're like, there's, she's not anorexic or bulimic every day. Um, but they actually told me, the Dean of Women told me if I lost a single pound, she would kick me out of the school. Hmm. Um, and she actually made me report to the medical office to be weighed on a weekly basis. And I thought this is the most crazy. Can I cuss on here? Is this, yeah, is this, a go for it. this is the most crazy fucking shit that I've ever experienced in my life. Not even at my program. Did they weigh me on a weekly basis to, to ensure that I wasn't losing any weight? I thought that's so overbearing. Yeah. And then there was times where I, she'd call me in and she'd ask to go through my cell phone and I'd be like, no. Uh, and, and, but she just thought that she had the authority to go through my personal cell phone, not like a, not like, oh, the computers that the school provided for us, which maybe there's some argument to that, but when yeah. they did that, 
but like my personal cell phone and I would be like, no. And yeah, I just had a lot of like run-ins with, with the Dean of women there. They seemed very controlling and like they had something out for me. Um, but that's just my, my personal experience with them as a whole Hiles Anderson, the fact that they have, I always said the biggest red flag to Hiles Anderson to me was how many posters they have of preachers just all adorning all the walls. It's, it's very telling who they worship there. You'll never, you'll never guess. I visited 2015, maybe 2016. Um, and, um, visit like 11 PM or something, but it was like, it was like we went in the main office, toured around and it was like statue Jack Kyle's outside, huge poster of him inside the lobby. Like, so much merch in their gift shop of like Jack Hiles and all this. It's, it's like literally like Disney I've described it as like the Walt Disney of like Baptists, you know, like there's so much love and, and appreciation of him everywhere you go. Um, At at the time you were there, I really want to know who the Dean of women is because I I like to name the names. I'll have to ask the girls that I was there with later, but I don't, she's still there. No, you know, okay. She let, she left not long after. Close out the website. Snooping <laughs> while you were saying. I'll that. find her. I'll find her. No, she's not still there, but she was crazy to me. Yeah. Crazy yeah. to me. What time frame was this that you were there? Um. So this. So I left in 2011. So this would have been late 2011. To so your um, pre-Scop scandal, then just Scott barely. Was still there. Scop was still yeah. there. Yeah. He was still there. Um. And yeah. So this was 2011. Maybe a little bit of early 2012 but i was only there for like six months i think yeah yeah before i ultimately ultimately the dean of women pulled me in and she was like i don't think you want to be here because i was very sick and i was like literally almost passing out in my um classes like not falling asleep like i was not well yeah and um she's like we don't think you want to be here and i was like okay and she was like so we think that maybe you you want to leave and i'm like well my parents have paid for this so i'm gonna do whatever my parents want me to do um, cause it's their money. And she was like, okay, well you can go talk to your father about it and then come back to me. And I was like, okay, cool. And she's like, you have an hour. I'll call your next class. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I have an hour to decide whether like, she pretty much forced me out the door at that point. Right. It was clear that she, they didn't want me there. Um, I felt very unwelcome. I, I don't know why. I don't know if my program talked to them and told them my business. It seems to be a very whispery little community. Yeah. It could have been anything. Um, it could have just been, they picked you at random, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but they suspected that I was probably not one of them and rightfully so. And they were right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I have to imagine too, like you're deprogramming from this program and it's a triggering environment because you're hearing all the same kind of messages and preaching and everything. Um, since that point, I mean, obviously you started sharing. So there's that gap between 2011 and 2020. Like, what was that process kind of just like, I'm going to leave this behind and not talk about it? Or was there any kind of like trying to work through that and figure that out? Initially, the first thing you said. So uh, initially, <laughs> when I got out of Hiles and I came back to California, because my parents were like, yeah, like, just come home. Like, let's just bring you home. Uh, I came home. And it was, I just didn't want to talk about anything. That's what it was. I didn't, I assumed at this point that my parents were privy to how my program itself operated. My parents had already not really been interested in, in like the IFB movement. Like that, like we wear pants in my family they don't drink, but they're not like extremists in any, in any sense of the word. Um, So I didn't really have to defend that school or, um, feel like I needed my parents' support to leave that place. Ironically, the few times that I did gravitate towards IFB institutions, even churches outside of my program, like my parents weren't really interested mm-hmm. in it. Um, that, that was more for me. I had been brainwashed to believe that if you were not this devoted to like being this extremist, um, that it just wasn't real Christianity. That's kind of what I thought. I thought, yeah. well, everyone else is like the joke and I'm taking this serious. You know, that's right. how I felt. Um, you know, they had, they had discouraged so much, you know, 
you know, the rock music in the church and the women who wear pants and the women preachers, da da da. Um, but my parents weren't of that weren't of that mindset. So I didn't really have to defend Hiles to them, but I did feel like they were on board with my program. Yeah. I'm not sure why I did think that, but I did. Uh, probably because my parents signed contracts and I just assumed that they would have done extensive research on how this place operated. Mm-hmm. And I think they tried to, but I, I also know for a fact that in the paperwork they signed, um, they were lied to about the way that this program operated. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I got back, I was just like, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. I just want to keep continuing figuring out who I am as an adult woman you know, whereas the last time I had this freedom, I was 13 years old. Mm. So I really had no idea who I was, what my hobbies were, what my interests were, what kind of character I had when I wasn't being loomed over by all of these incredibly oppressive forces. And I just didn't want to talk about it. So I didn't. I didn't talk about it for years. I think I I began kind of opening up about it by making snide remarks to my parents. Like, hey, remember when you sent me away for four years and abandoned me? Like just, just done stuff no. like that where I kind of let them know that I wasn't too happy with their choice there, but never kind of opening up to them about what I actually experienced. Um, the, the closest I got was like in talking with my friends, I would kind of say, Oh, well, at my, in my high school, you know, everyone's talking about their high school experiences because those are such formative years, right? So yeah. you get in conversations with people who are talking about, Oh, I played on the sports team and it taught me like teamwork and camaraderie and all these things. And, um, and I'm like, Oh, well, I uh, spent a couple of days in an isolation box and learned nothing. And and then people are like, you know, that's like majorly fucked up, right? And I'm, I would be like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that is kind of fucked up, huh? I'm like, I disobeyed. And they're like, still kind of fucked up, though. And I'm like, yeah. And so I kind of started making these connections. Start realizing, like, oh, yeah. It's actually never appropriate to lock a child in an isolation room. Like, that's actually never appropriate. It's never been effective. It's never been proven treatment. Um, And I didn't deserve it. And so those kind of instances um, continued to sort of open me up. And and when I was really sure that, you know what, I was abused for like four years and brainwashed and indoctrinated and treated really terribly. And, you know, I have 12, 12, I have a bunch of nieces and nephews. And I think if anyone ever treated them the way that I was treated, there would be violence. Like, like, like literally I'm like, there, there would just be no way on earth that anybody would treat a member of my family the way that I was treated as a child. Mm -hmm. And so, um, kind of when I really was solidifying, like, wow, this narrative, um, is when I, I asked my mom one day, I was just at their house for dinner and we, we had kind of reestablished a decent working relationship. Mm -hmm. And I had said, you know, did you ever tell my program that I was anorexic or bulimic? And, she said no. And then she asked me why. And I'm not going to cry because I cry every time I tell the story. But um, she asked me why. And that was the first time that my parents really showed interest in what happened there. And I told her, I'm like, well, you know, they they made me throw up on my plate, like in front of everybody because they said I was anorexic or bulimic. And they made me throw up in like a bucket um, and make me carry around the bucket like in the, in the building, like I'd have to walk room to room with a, with like a Home Depot bucket full of puke um, because they were force feeding me, overfeeding me, forcing me to eat within very limited time uh, times. And um, it was really difficult on me because I was very tiny as I always had been. So I, that that's because they thought I was bulimic or anorexic. And that's why I was asking my mother. And, and so that was the first story that I ever told her first instance of abuse that I ever shared with her from my program. And she was immediately in tears, immediately mortified that they would do this to, to her daughter, uh, as was my father. And, you know, they today they kind of come from a standpoint of like, well, we had to do something, but they they definitely know they made the wrong choice in, in choosing that program for sure. Right. Right. Is your relationship with them pretty solid now at this point, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my relationship with them now is great. I am. Um, I go, they live in Florida now. I go see them a couple of times a year if I can. Um, but yeah, we have a great relationship. They're, they're very supportive in uh, my advocacy work. Um, you know, they, they've read yeah, the magazines, watched some videos, yeah. seen some podcasts. They're, 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 they're willing to engage that content to a, to a certain extent. They, it, it is hurtful for them to kind of hear about things that happen to me. So, um, right. I can't say that they watch everything I do, but they, they do support me. Um, and they've supported my latest effort as well. They've, they've donated money to things that I've been doing yeah. for the survivors and, and all those things. So, um, I'm, I always say that I'm very fortunate. You know, there are a lot of parents out there who, 
gave up on their children and that's the reason yeah. their children w- were put into a program. Um, there's a lot of parents out there who were abusive themselves and that's probably why their kid was acting out to begin with and, um, <laughs> yeah. and have been, you know, terrible to survivors or, or their children. Um, and so I am incredibly, incredibly lucky and fortunate and privileged to have parents who both understand um, what they did wrong and support me on my journey of, of bringing awareness to this issue. So. Yeah, it's so it's so rare. And like you said, there's so many parents who are just abusive themselves, but they get to call it punishment and then they get to call their kids violent. It's a kind of interesting dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you mentioned missing out on your formative years. And as king of segues, I'm going to use that to talk about what you're working on now. Um, <laughs> so many people in cults and in trouble tea industry have missed out on a lot of those moments that are huge. Like you mentioned, sports teams, Some would say, you know, they even missed out on things like prom. So uh, tell us, what are you working on to help uh, kind of retroactively address that? Great segue. Um, Yeah. So I am working on an event called Survivor Prom. And that is for survivors of the troubled teen industry. It is for survivors of cults, which I would consider Hiles one, just saying. Um, And it's for survivors of other congregate care settings. So um, that might include... um, residential treatment, uh, residential centers, foster care like systems um, where children may have missed out on some of the same experiences um, by being homeschooled, et cetera. Um, So uh, yeah, survivor prom is prom for survivors of those things. It's it's prom for the adults. Um, It's for people who missed out on not just prom, but but a lot of those experiments, experiments, experiences, like you say, you know, there, there there are things that people I think probably think are a little petty, things like prom, things, but that also ex- extends into things like, oh, well, I also missed my sweet 16. You know, my gift for my sweet 16 was I was allowed to talk to three people with a listener for 25 minutes. That was, that was my gift for my sweet 16th birthday. You know, um, it's not like I needed that big TV show party, but like I got to yeah. talk to people that that's what I was allowed. I was allowed to open my mouth. That That's what that was for me. Um, you know, so we missed our sweet 16s. We missed our graduations, you know, my high school graduation. Again, I am blessed, uh, and, and privileged to have gotten an accredited education. Um, but a lot of people did not, they, 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 when they came home to their home States and presented, you know, here's my education that I got from the program in Florida, their, their colleges said, absolutely not. This is not, this is not accredited. And they literally had to go get their GEDs after being abused for years. Like they're, they're at a severe disadvantage. Um, and even the graduation ceremonies itself, you know, people people love that moment for themselves. You're celebrating an accomplishment. You're celebrating a transition from your adolescence into adulthood. It's a, it's a huge deal. And for my graduation, I had to get on stage and talk about what a wretch I was. And I'm so glad that my parents sent me here and changed changed my life. And I had to give them flowers. That was my graduation. Um, so those are just a couple of events. But you also miss out, like I had said earlier, on the camaraderie of of sports teams, of of knowing how to be part of a team, how to work as part of a team, you miss out on forming friendships. You know, at the program and often in cults and other places, you know, you're you're not allowed to make friends. I, I was literally punished for making friends, like like punished for making friends. And obviously, there's no romantic relationships during those years. You're not you're not learning how to how to kind of engage with the opposite opposite sex and what's appropriate and how you deal with that. So people come out of these programs oftentimes as a, and become adults um, that are just severely lacking in a lot of their social skills. Um, they don't know a, a lot about themselves a lot of the time. You know, children are put through conversion therapy in these programs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, in my program, it was a sin to be gay, to be bi, to be anything. But, you know, the body you were born with. Um, so they don't even know those things about themselves because they've been denied and punished for them for so long. Yeah. Um, so people sometimes discredit what high school does for you. Um but if you talk to a survivor of the troubled teen industry, we can tell you what it does for you because we're out here trying to rebuild after. Yeah. Um, so prom is just kind of a symbol, right? It's like a symbol of taking back those those years in our, of our lives, um, yeah. taking back that time. And and prom is something we obviously all missed out on. So it'll be a blast. Survivors are going to come together and uh, kind of celebrate just us. You know, we've done a lot um, of ag of advocacy work the last few years, this entire community. And and there really is no fight against the troubled teen industry without this community because people Mm -hmm. don't care. They're full of excuses or they don't know. 
Um, And so without the survivors, there is no fight. And I think it's really important to celebrate this community. I think it's really important to support this community um, and and to kind of shine a light on them for once, you know, instead of the next generation who is also important and we're going to keep fighting for them. um, But we got to love the people we have now. And uh, that's kind of what Survivor Prom is about. No, that's awesome. And when is it? And for people that are going, you know, hey, I'm I, I'm not going, but I want to support what's going on. What's the best way to do yeah. that? Um, so the event itself is on October 21st. It is in LA. Excuse me. Um, and it's going to be at a Hilton hotel. However, I'm not sharing oh, which one. Just interesting. Yet. A Hilton hotel. No, I'm just I'm not sharing which one just yet, just because um, we did get discounted rooms. So if you're interested in attending Survivor Prom, um, follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. We have a Facebook group, the Survivor Prom Committee, um, and you can find a lot of the information or, or the links available on those. And that's also where you will find the link eventually here to the discounted hotel rooms, as well as tickets for the event. And if you're interested in supporting prom uh, or the survivors attending, you can click one of the fundraising links that we have available on our link tree. um, And that will give you the option to donate. If you'd like to donate, the funds go towards things like um, audiovisual equipment, security, uh, food and beverage, obviously the venue, the floor, the decor, lots of expenses going into prom. Uh, So if you want to help support us in that, um, just click the link at our link tree. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to do that if you're listening to this episode and be sure to head back and listen to Hannah's full story if you haven't already, because we just kind of skimmed the surface and gave a 10,000 foot view of so much of your early part of your story. Uh, But thank you so much again for coming on. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all these updates of, uh, of prom. Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.